Well, all right, we've been studying through the book of Luke since about Christmas time. We've been going straight through uh, this book, which means that whatever comes up in the book is what we're going to study. I know that some of you are very feisty, right? And so because you're feisty, you're not going to let me off the hook if I skip something. Hey, you skip that. And so that's why we do it. It forces us to kind of go through some hard stuff. And today's passage is one of those. It's uh, one of the reasons we go straight through the Bible, because I'm not going to pick this passage when I go guest speak at somebody else's church or some conference or something. This is not the passage I'm going to uh, pick. It's just not. And so Luke chapter 12, 49 is where we're going to be. So go ahead and, and land there. We've got Bibles provided around the room for you. Uh, if you don't have one at home, uh, we would love for you to bring that home and break that in. That's your Bible now. So uh, also maybe use your app. You can find that on the app store. Or we've got this enormous Bible just behind me that glows beautifully. And so that's a Bible for you as well. So look up there. Uh, but Luke chapter 12, 49, while you're working your way over there, this is the time of year uh, where my mom begins to contact me through every means possible. Uh, this is that time of year where she says, Joshua, that's what she calls me. It's time for the Christmas list for the kiddos. And she asks for that. And so I get a voicemail, Josh, I need a Christmas list for your kids, followed shortly thereafter by a text. Josh, I need a Christmas list for the kids, followed by an email, Christmas list, followed by a Facebook message, Christmas list, followed by a second voicemail, Christmas list. It's August. I mean, the snow just melted, I think, like two weeks ago, and I don't even want to think about Christmas yet, but my mom forces me to. And uh, some of you were here around Christmas when we began this series and started getting into this book. The very beginning of Luke is the Christmas story. It's, it's awesome. And, and you may remember, uh, you've got the shepherds out in the fields, and then all of a sudden, there's a multitude of, of heavenly hosts, angels in the sky. And do you remember their, their song? They, they sing a song that goes something like this. Jesus has come, so glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. And on earth, peace. We love that, don't we? Jesus is about to mess you up right now. So Luke chapter 12, look at verse 49. Let's read it. It says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What? <laughs> Luke 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Luke 12, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, rather division. So what do we do with this? We study through the scripture. We're always talking around here about the unifying power of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel Means and, and yet Jesus just said, he said it, I have come for division. And there are so many people who could say, see, there's some ammo for me. Jesus brings division. Have you ever heard that? Well, let's dig in a little bit. Verse 49, he says, I came to cast fire on the earth. So he's speaking of fire, but fire like a refiner's fire, like with gold that's heated and it separates from the gold, two things, pure gold 
and what rises to the top, the impurities. And similarly, Jesus will divide. He'll divide between those who trust him, who are purified from their sin, not because they've cleaned themselves up, but they're purified from their sins because they've trusted in Jesus. And their sins, though they sin on this earth, are eternally removed and the results of that sin purifies and separates them from those who will reject him. Verse 50, he goes on, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. The word baptism literally means to immerse. And so when we baptize people, we immerse them in the water as the word actually means. And, and then often in Greek literature, the word baptism or baptizo was, was used to, to speak to being immersed in devastation. And so Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And what's the devastating event that's going to come upon the life of Jesus? It's the cross. The most horrific death imaginable. He's talking about the cross. I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's speaking about his, his death on the cross. It's going to take our punishment for sin. And so do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, rather division. I have come to cast fire on earth, a separating fire, a dividing fire. I have a baptism to be baptized with. That's speaking of the cross and all of its effects that he's going to give to us. Now listen to Colossians chapter 1, 19 through 20. Check this out. It says, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Making peace by the blood of the cross. So, is Jesus against peace? Well, not according to that verse. It says here that he died by the cross to create peace between God and man. And so, is the Bible contradicting itself? Was the angel's prophecy to the shepherds a false prophecy. Well, let's think back to their declaration if we can. Luke chapter 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And it goes on among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so is this peace on earth going to be experienced fully by everyone on earth according to that prophecy? No. Only those with whom he is pleased. And who does he look upon with pleasure? Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just string some verses together for you. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so, do you want to have peace? You have to be one with whom he is pleased. If you want to be a God pleaser, you have to exercise faith. You have to exercise trust in Jesus, in his perfect life, in his death on the cross, so that you can have peace with God through the blood of the cross. You stringing all those together? It's very important never to take scripture all by itself, but to piece it together in accordance with the whole of scripture. And so is Jesus for peace? Absolutely Jesus is for peace. He has made a way for peace. But he realizes that in order for peace, there has to be 
a division. In order for peace, there has to be a separation. In order for God to unify his people, there has to be some divisions. And here in his words in in Luke chapter 12, can't you just feel his eagerness about bringing about unity? Look at verse 49 again. I have come to cast fire on earth and would that it were already kindled. Oh, that I just long that this would have already taken place. It would just already happen so that my people can rise to the top. Verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. That's the cross. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you feel that? You feel that? He's a man on a mission. He's like a, a, a miner seeking to find that valuable stone. He's sifting, and he's sifting, and he's sifting, and he's sifting. It's like lovers who, who are separated from each other and they long to be reunited. Like a mother separated from her, her child. In fact, I, I want to skip ahead and, and cover something now. In, in Luke chapter 13, the end of the chapter, if you look ahead, 31 through 35, just hear the pain, hear the longing of Jesus. I'm going to read it. It says, and at that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until that day when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you feel it? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. How I would have gathered you, children together, like a hen who gets her brood up under her, her wings, but you were not willing. I hope you hear that. I hope you feel that. Is he saying, let me joyfully kill everyone. Fire and division, it's fun for me. No, we, we read he's broken over the rejection of his people. Like a mother hen, I want to cover you, I want to protect you, but you're rejecting me. And if you back up and you look at 31 through 33, Pharisees come to Jesus to get him out. And they want to, they want to protect him from Herod. Herod wants to, to kill him. And does Jesus move along? No, he says, no, you tell that fox, I like that. You tell that fox, I've got a job to do. And then on the third day, I I finish my course. I must go my way. Do you hear the determination there? I must go. I've got a job to do. I've got to finish my course. It sounds a lot like what we're looking at in 12, 49, and 50. Would that it were already kindled. Great is my distress until it is accomplished. Is that determination to bring division? To bring discord? Or is it to bring peace, to bring protection? to bring a covering to his people. Some of you in here, you maybe feel like no one has ever fought for you. Maybe you have neglect from a parent, thinking back to your childhood. Maybe you have neglect from a loved one. Ladies, some of you, neglect from your own husband. Let me tell you something. Jesus fought for you. 
That's why he's using such strong language here. He was determined to win you back. He was determined to win you back. And that's why our, 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 our theology as a church is the total sovereignty of God in salvation. Because if he is truly the all-powerful God, he cannot lose a fight, can he? So he's fighting for you. He's come to bring peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Yes, peace among his people. That's, that's his heart. That's, that's the plan of, of Jesus. Let's think more towards the, the division that he speaks of in chapter 12. If you look around chapter 12 and you think about the division that he's speaking of, it actually highlights his grace, doesn't it? This division highlights his, his grace. It, it, it highlights that, that you're being saved not based on your own merit, not based on your worthiness. His division actually speaks to the inclusivity of the gospel because he doesn't choose people by family line, right? Verse 53, father against son, son, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So your in-law issues, they're biblical there. Uh, You're not in because you're a Vanderbilt or because you're a Smith or because you were born into church life. You cannot carpool to heaven. It highlights his grace. It just calls people not based on their own merit. His division actually highlights the inclusivity of the gospel because he doesn't choose people based on nationality, based on race. Ephesians chapter 2, we cover this numerous times in the life of our, our church, says that he broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, two different races. God doesn't save based on race. He saves based on grace, which is why we fight hard as a church family to be an ethnically diverse church, even though it's comfortable for us to drift towards homogenous units. Let's have the black church, the the white church. Let's have the Hispanic church. Let's have the Haitian church. And we say, no, we're going to fight for this. We want to demonstrate the reality of the gospel shared in Ephesians chapter 2. His separation highlights his inclusivity. It's not about family line. It's not about nationality. His, His division highlights the inclusivity of the gospel because he doesn't choose people based on socioeconomic status. Think through the book of Acts with me for a minute. The church that is birthed is this wildly diverse group of people. Not just diverse in skin color, not just diverse in different families, but diverse and just very different, even socioeconomically. Some people would say, oh yeah, well the Christian faith is for the poor people who just really need some help and need a crutch. Not exactly. It's a little bit of everything. Acts chapter 3, you've got a poor beggar comes to faith in Jesus. Acts chapter 8, you've got a very sophisticated Ethiopian eunuch. He's a court official. He's a manager of the queen's treasure. Also in Acts chapter 8, you've got Simon the magician. He's the goth kid wearing guy liner, right? Acts chapter 9, you've got Saul the angry uh, Christian killer. He was, you know, part of Al-Qaeda. Then you've got Acts chapter 16, the psychotic slave girl. Also in the same chapter, shortly after or before the psychotic slave girl, you've got this upper crust woman named Lydia kind of a yuppie lady. You've also got a blue-collar prison guard. They all come to church, and they're, in fact, together in the same church, the same connection group, sharing life together, talking about things. I mean, without Jesus, what are they even going to talk about, these three, right? Lydia could talk about her money problems and her investment problems. Slave girls, I don't don't, don't know what to say. I I got nothing for you, right? The jailer's talking about hard day at work. 
Lydia's like, yeah, I, I sell silk. It's comfy at work for me. You get the point? Jesus brings this inclusivity and, and, and unity that no one had ever seen before in thousands of years of known history. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 13, 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You are going to stand out if you're a Christian, not because of some political view, not because of how you dress, suits, I don't know, long hair braided with doilies on top. No. Not because of where you come from. Oh, you're one of those Christian America. No. You're going to stand out because of your radical love for each other. That leaves people kind of scratching their head like, I don't, I don't get this. How, how do they all get along? How do they love each other so radically and so well? What's the glue there? And we get to say the glue is Jesus. Jesus. He loves me not based on my lovableness. He loved me to the end where it was so difficult and so hard. I'm going to love people that are hard to love and I've got to fight for unity, but I'm going to do it because of Jesus. I can love people who are way different from me. That's, that's, the, that's the reality of the unity that comes from the transformation that Jesus brings about. Yet there's this kind of lie that just keeps being perpetuated about the Christian faith and I want to set the record straight. The lie is that Christians are so divisive. And let me help you because it's going to come your way. A couple things. One, some people had a bad experience with one particular Christian. Can you show them that not every single Christian is like that? So one thing that I do when that comes my way, well, Christians are just so divisive. First thing I do is just, I just apologize. I know I didn't commit the offense, but I'm really sorry that that was your experience. Yeah, that was a pretty jerky move he or she made. The second thing I want to do is I want to point out the grace of Jesus. The favor of Jesus that comes by faith, not by works, so that who can boast? Ephesians 2. So no one can boast. I want, to, I want to highlight the grace of Jesus. So when somebody says uh, Christianity is just so divisive, they're, they're usually coming from the fact that our, our faith has exclusive claims. Now, th- that's true, right? Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So if you're confused in here and you love Jesus, but you think we're all good, right? Not according to Jesus. He says, I am the only way. That's, that's exclusive. He says, it's my life. It's my death. It's my cross, my resurrection in your place. And, and the belief and, and the value that unites us as believers is that Jesus is the way that I've trusted in and he's the only way. And many people hate that truth claim that is exclusive. But listen, here's where I need to set the record straight. All unity... All community is created from some kind of shared value. Hear that again. All unity, all community is created because of some shared value. Such that if you don't share that value, you are divided from where the unity is. Let's just, let's, let's take Unitarian Universalism, for example. Let's just go to the, the most extreme example, headquartered here in Boston. 
They would claim that they are completely open, completely inclusive. But if I, I I think a a very civically minded, social justice loving, spiritual man, went to them and wanted to sit on their leadership, or maybe just took it slow and, and hung out with them and then kind of rose through the ranks and wanted to sit among their their leadership, I think I could probably contribute something. I wouldn't be allowed, would I? No, why? Because I believe that Jesus is the only way. And in believing that Jesus is the only way, I'm not with them in saying that all ways work, right? And so now you have the group who is totally inclusive, excluding me. The point is that no matter how open your community is, If someone disagrees with your belief or disagrees with your value, they're not in the community, right? And so in order for there to be any unity around anything, there has to be a dividing of sorts. You understand that? There there has to be a dividing of sorts. Let's not get angry at Jesus when he says, "I, I have to divide. I've come to divide. There will be a division, right? I'll say this. Two things are very different about the Christian faith regarding the division. Number one, you look at the people who make up the community among believers and they look radically diverse. That's very unique to the Christian faith. Why? Why do we look radically diverse? Because what got you into the community had nothing to do with who you were before getting into the community. Does that make sense? It's not merit-based, it's, it's grace-based. And so you're in, not because you were good. You're just in because of the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God. You're in not because of your family lineage. You're not going to hop in a family wagon to heaven. You're in not because you're spiritual. You're in not because you're American. You're in because of God's unconditional, unmerited pursuit of, of you. And so there is no room for you to look down a self-righteous nose at anyone and say, I'm in, you're not. There's only room for compassion and extending the same grace to people that was extended to you. And so one of the things that makes us different with regards to our division is that you look at our community and it's radically diverse which I believe leads to the second thing that makes Christian division so different, and that is the way we treat people who do not share our same value makes us radically different. Yes, there's a division, but the way we treat people who do not share the thing that divides us is radically different. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who hate you. Sounds a little bit different than the Quran, Surah, which means chapter, Surah 2, 98. Allah is an enemy to unbelievers. Surah 2, 193. Fight against them until idolatry is no more and Allah's religion reigns supreme. Surah 2, 216. Fighting is prescribed for you much as you dislike it. I know you don't like it, but you've got to fight. Or, a little more common among us today, in the name of tolerance, being intolerant of believers. 
and bullying them into submission. See how it plays out a little different? But Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute. You treat them well. Yes, there's a division, but you treat them well. So just last year, in April 2014, a Silicon Valley CEO was pushed by his board out of his job because it was discovered that six years prior to that, 2008, he donated $1,000 to Proposition 8 in California. Just bully people out of, out of their work in the name of tolerance. Even a guy named Andrew Sullivan, he's a, a very popular writer. Maybe some of you read some of his stuff. He's an openly gay man and an early supporter of gay marriage. Here's what he writes. He writes, this whole episode about the Silicon Valley CEO, this whole episode disgusts me as it should disgust anyone interested in a tolerant and diverse society. If this is the gay rights movement today, hounding our opponents with a fanaticism more like the religious right than anyone else, then count me out. So even he got it. And he's got a different opinion than the CEO and then we stand who hold to biblical marriage. So what are Christians called to do with those people who do not share our values? We're called to love them. We're called to pursue justice for them. Even those people who don't give you that themselves, who persecute you. You're to love. You're to love. You're to love. You're to love. All unity, all community is created based on some kind of shared value. So that if you don't share that value, there's a division. And, and Jesus' coming brought a division that was inevitable. But it was a division that led to peace among his people, among those with whom he is pleased. Peace that comes from grace, that leads to this radical inclusion of people. And yet for those who do not share in our value, that is Jesus alone, we extend grace, we extend compassion, we extend love. We should never be the ones seeking to divide. Can I say that? A lot of times Christians try to be the dividers themselves. We're not the dividers, are we? Who's the divider? Jesus is the divider. You speak on behalf of Jesus. You do what he calls you to do. But don't seek to create division. You leave that to Jesus. He's the sifter. He's the miner. He's the, the, the reaper who discerns between the wheat and the tares, according to the parable in, in the book of Matthew. You let Jesus do the dividing. So, so how do we respond? So we kind of round third base. Well, let's, let's look at the end of chapter 12, beginning in verse 54. End of chapter 12, 54. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so what happens? And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He goes on. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So what is what does Jesus do in light of all of this dividing? 
he looks at those, many of whom looking at him as he's, he's speaking, many of those who are going to reject him. And he says to them, your error is huge. He shows those who are rejecting him how huge their error is, and he tells them to do what is right. Notice he, he points out how they, they look at the clouds and the wind, and they discern, okay, there's clouds and wind, so there's some coming weather. And yet, they fail to see the signs of the kingdom of God coming. He points out that if they were smart, they would, they would settle personal conflicts before having to bring this personal conflict before the judge. You, if you were smart, you would settle that. You, you should settle that before being judged, before being divided by the Lord. He tells them, we're rejecting him. Your error is huge. You've got to get right with, with God. You, you must. So let me ask you, is that intolerant? Is that exclusive for him to do that, for him to plead with them? Or is it tolerant? I've made a way for you. Is it inclusive? I want you in on my diverse kingdom. Come on in. Yeah, you. You don't make any sense that you should be in. Yeah, come on. You. Me? I'm not a Jew. Yes, you. You. Uh, You don't know my past. Yes, you. Come on in. I was persecuting Christians. I'm killing Christians. Yeah, you too. What's tolerant? What's inclusive? I think the gospel is. Jesus is. He, He tells those of us who are rejecting him, your error is huge. Please get right with me. And so, here's how we respond today. Some of you, you need to, you need to receive that plead from Jesus to trust in him. Before the division comes, before you go before the great judge, get right with him. His way is distinct, It is drastically different because this way isn't religion, which means to buy back or to earn your way back to God. His way is relationship. That is, I have come to have a relationship with you if you would trust in what I've done, my life, my death, my cross, my resurrection for you. You can be made right. You call to him, you turn to him, and he'll make you right. For some of you, today is the day you need to receive that plea from Jesus and give your life to him and trust in him. For the Christians among us, I'd say this. No more shame. No more, no more cowering. Believe that you've got good news. Believe that you've got the best news. The most important news. Do what Jesus did, and that is with love, point out the error in people's thinking. Yes, it will divide. Yes, it might make it difficult and and, and uncomfortable among your family. We've got believers even in our own midst here who because of that, their family was divided. We don't want that. We don't seek that. But it, it will happen. But you, you, you do what Jesus did with, with love. Point out error. And you call people to trust in the unifying, gracious gospel of peace through Jesus. I did this myself with my Unitarian neighbor, Bill. He said, my wife and I were, were Catholics. He says, but when we decided to get married, we decided to get married in a Unitarian church because religion is so divided, so divisive. And I said, I know, right? <laughs> he goes, what, what? You can't say that. You're a pastor. I said, yeah, well, religion is earning God's favor. 
So, but what sets the Christian faith apart from religion is this beautiful thing called grace. Have you thought about grace very much? Well, no, I haven't. And I explained grace to him, to which Bill said, Josh, I've never heard this before. Are you kidding me? Christian America, and we've got neighbors who have never heard of the grace of God? That you can't be good enough, and that's okay because Jesus was good enough? You've got to tell them with love. And there's this friend of mine, he works at the Staples Copy Center here in Roslindale. And uh, in the early days of our church, I brought countless thumb drives to him to print all this stuff up about our church. And so he started to get real interested in what we were up to. So we started to meet at Panera Bread. He was a Muslim. And uh, I started to identify with him about just this struggle of all these rules and I can't keep all these rules. And I said, I know, right? (laughs) And I got to tell him about the grace of God. And then there was my friend Rachel. I was in her office in Roslindale Square. And she said, you're a pastor, Josh. You should should meet my husband. He's real spiritual. He's a professor. And I talked to her a little bit. She says, but I, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it because religion is divisive. And I said, I know, right? (laughs) And I apologize for her crappy experiences with religious type people. And I told her about this thing called grace and how it puts us all in a level playing field. And then how even after that, once you're in, you can't look down your self-righteous nose at people because what got you in was not you, it was him. And so real Christians, I told her, don't boast. Real Christians should be humble. Otherwise, they didn't get the gospel. They didn't get the message of Jesus. And she was blown away. And I remember, I'll never forget, she said, Josh, that makes total sense to me. (laughs) It just makes sense. I get it. I said, listen, that's what makes our faith distinct from every other faith system in the world. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. So let's not cower Let's be confident that we have the gospel. We have good news of Jesus. It's, it's good. It's beautiful. It's distinct. And we should be proud ambassadors of the gospel even in a very hostile environment. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray and commission you out to go be proud ambassadors with your neighbors your family and your friends, many neighbors moving in. You go be a proud ambassador. I want to pray for some of you in this room who you're just getting it for the first time today and you're seeing the sweetness and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And some of you today need to give your life to Christ. In the, the short history of our church, about half of our people have come to faith. Half of our people have come to faith in Jesus in our church. People are getting it. People want it. People are hungry for it. We call for more people to give their lives to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for my friends in this room. Lord, I just ask that you would do a work that only you can do. That you would save many people. Many of our neighbors, our family, friends. That we would not cower. We would not tiptoe around as if we've got some risque bad news. 
to share. It's good news. It's grace. It's different from any other faith system. Thank you that every other faith system says, I've got to earn, I've got to do good enough, I've got to be good enough, and it just leaves us full of shame and rejection and failure. And yet your gospel says, yeah, you're not good enough, but I still love you anyhow. I gave it all for you. I'm calling you, you're mine. So God, I pray that if there's anyone here who, who just, they don't know Jesus, they've never given their lives to Jesus, I pray right now in the best way they know how, they would call upon your name and be saved from sin and death in the grip of the enemy. Be brought into your beautiful, diverse family, the global church of Jesus Christ. May they know your love, your affection. May they turn from sin that's independence from you and turn to a life completely dependent on you and all that you've done for them with the cross and the resurrection. Move their hearts now to respond. I pray for my Christian friends, brothers and sisters in this room. May we be bold. May we be confident. May we make an impact as we begin this, this new season New neighbors, new friends, lots of students. Do a good work. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come, fill us up. Just reminded of the book of Acts, every time they pray for the Holy Spirit to come, it leads to proclamation of the gospel. So we pray, Spirit, fill us, cause us to proclaim proudly, joyfully for your glory, and for the good of all people. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.